News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. The numbers, if you would like to join the program, as always, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, and um, I'm on Twitter very much, so you can find me there at Pete Callender, and uh, get the podcast at wbt.com. So in the previous hour, I was going over all of the latest pieces of evidence that indicate much scandal. Muy scandaloso around uh, the Clinton campaign uh, and the buying of the Steele dossier and its use to smear uh, Donald Trump as a Russian agent, as somehow compromised and uh, that there was some sort of collusion occurring. Uh, All lies promulgated by the Clinton camp and pitched to the FBI in order to get an investigation launched, which they then used as sort of an information laundering operation. You give it to the feds. They then open a probe. You then use the opening of the probe to attack your, uh, your opponent and make it. it, So there was an old story. Remember um, you probably heard this where, Lyndon Mage Johnson was running for, I think, uh, Congress at the time, and uh, he had an opponent, and he told his campaign uh, manager, hey, I want you to uh, go circulate a story, go plant a a story in the media, in the press, uh, that my opponent, uh, let us just say, has certain relations with farm animals. Yeah, all right, so... Um, and the campaign manager said, come on, LBJ, we can't possibly say that, right? I mean, surely, like, that's not true. We can't do that. We can't say that. He's going to deny it, and that was the point. LBJ told him, he said, I just want to hear him deny it. That's it. That's the whole point. That's the laugh. Ha ha. I said, you sleep with farm animals, and now you had to deny it. By the way, that only works if you have a media that is willing to amplify the allegation. And that's exactly what we saw here with the Steele dossier. And now you got these other pieces of evidence coming out uh, about Hunter Biden, uh, which, again, conservative media and media consumers. We've known these pieces of evidence for over a year now, maybe even two. We've known about this stuff for a while. But it's it's good that the you know the legacy corporate media catches up, I guess, at some point. Just in time to save democracy. Oh, sorry, I was told by Hellion twenty one seventy two that I had to uh, that I I should have uh, played the sound effect about democracy. It, it does it does lend a bit of oomph to the defenders of democracy. Okay, um, got another. Tweet here from Unperson. I don't make their names up. They make their they get to choose their own names, okay? So these are this is a little segment I like to call Pete's tweets. These are some of the tweets I get. So Unperson says, with regard to Joe not knowing about any of the business dealings of Hunter Biden, despite getting, you know, monthly bills taken care of and his house renovations taken care of, uh, and the email that says, Hey, you gotta sit, you know, give ten to H for the big guy. We're supposed to believe the big guy isn't Joe Biden. Right. Uh, oh, and he also wrote the letter uh, of recommendation for colleges for the son of a Chinese business executive 
that was a partner of Hunter Biden. But we're supposed to believe Joe had no idea about any of the business dealings of Hunter Biden. Okay. Unperson says, with regard to Joe not knowing, it actually is quite possible that he knew very little and that Jill was the mastermind behind the scenes. That's possible. Oh, I'm sorry. Behind the scheme. It's obvious she's a manipulator and does a great job with cover-ups. Hmm. Here's one from Dad. Isn't Joe Biden a lawyer? Literally, it is my dad. Isn't Joe Biden a lawyer who was at the top of his law class? So he must have known all about ethical conduct. Thinking about, isn't Hunter also a lawyer? Well-educated in the law, especially federal, state, and lawyers' conflicts of interest with elected officials? I don't know if Hunter Biden is a lawyer. Is he? I know Bo was a lawyer, right? Wasn't he attorney general? Um, yeah, I don't know if he was a lawyer. While members of Congress are calling for the enactment of, this is, by the way, speaking of Joe Biden and colleges, while members of Congress are calling for the enactment of billions of dollars in broad student loan forgiveness and the White House is signaling the potential for executive action in that direction, governors continue to offer an alternative vision for education and labor policy reforms that will eliminate the need to rack up debt in order to qualify for well-paying jobs. Patrick Gleason uh, is a contributor over at Forbes.com. And if I recall correctly, he's, I believe he's based in North Carolina here. He does a lot of North Carolina coverage for Forbes. And he writes about Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Republican, who announced back in March a new initiative to remove the four-year degree requirement for thousands of state government jobs. Do you ever notice how easily we all just sort of accepted the premise that, well, you got to get a college degree nowadays. It's sort of like the old high school degree was or high school uh, diploma. I used to say that, too. I I just took it as sort of conventional wisdom as as fact, like this is a thing that's true, kind of like inflation. Right. I mean, not like inflation we're seeing nowadays. That's crazy. But like this inflationary effect where. As college becomes more and more accessible, more and more people getting into it, you have more uh, opportunities uh, for different degree paths and such. It becomes more normal. And so, therefore, more people require it. And I just kind of accepted that premise. But what if what if we don't accept the premise? What if we just say, you know what? You don't need actually a college degree to do a lot of this work. Because honestly, truth is, you don't need a lot of college degrees to do a lot of this work. It's actually true. The Biden White House and congressional Democrats are more focused, though, on canceling student loans for millions of Americans, regardless of whether they're actually able to pay off their debt without taxpayer assistance. Many are waiting to see if Joe Biden's going to extend the ongoing student loan repayment pause. There is a pause right now. Did you know that? Because the pandemic and all. I mean, the pandemic is over when it comes to like border security, but it's still apparently in effect when it comes to repaying your student loans. Yeah, I don't I don't make the rules here. So there's a pause and it's in uh, in effect until May 1st, as was also the case with his extension of former President Donald Trump's solar tariffs. There is a strong likelihood that President Biden will extend the student loan repayment pause that Trump instituted two years ago. So that's what's expected to happen. But there's a twist to this. They may be looking to raid an existing program 
in order to start doing some of this debt forgiveness. Yeah, this is going to really hack you off. News Talk 1110 wbt Patrick Gleason writing at Forbes.com, talking about uh, this asinine idea. Asinine. Just to forgive all of the student loans. It's, it's so dumb on multiple levels, but let me just walk through here. Because right now there is the student loan repayment pause. There is a pause. Trump did this during the pandemic said, all right, everybody, you don't have to pay your student loans for a few months. And that's why everyone's got some cash laying around, right? Because they were paying back student loans and now they don't have to and they haven't had to for like two years. But it expires on May 1st. So now President Biden looks like he's going to extend it. The Department of Education recently asked the loan service providers that it contracts with to stop notifying borrowers about the resumption of the loan repayments. So the providers were starting to send out letters like, hey, you guys have been skating for a while on this, but heads up, May 1, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to start paying again. And the DOE, the Department of Ed, comes in and says, hey, hey, shh, shh, just stop doing that. We may be extending this, right? It's an indication that they're planning to extend the pause. So the White House has signaled that additional executive action on student loan forgiveness could accompany that announcement of the pause extension of the longer pause. Just as progressives wanted Biden to extend the CDC's eviction moratorium after it was clear that the votes were not there for Congress to do so, any effort to enact broad forgiveness of student loans is going to come in the form of executive action. Because of course it will. That's what authoritarians love. And as with President Biden's, by the way, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, what, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you over all of the crying from the defenders of democracy against this action. No, I, yeah. As with President Biden's efforts to have the CDC unilaterally extend the eviction moratorium without congressional approval, any executive action to forgive student loans is almost sure to be challenged in court. Polling shows broad student loan forgiveness is politically unpopular, particularly in an election year. Hank Naughton, a Democratic member of the Massachusetts House of Representatives for three decades, is warning his fellow Democrats that, quote, waiving college debt for millions of Americans with no regard for whether or not they deserve that forgiveness would only further alienate the president from most Americans. But get this. That's exactly what the Biden administration has already indicated it is looking to do. In fact, there is concern that the White House now views an existing anti-fraud program as the vehicle through which the billions of dollars in student loans can be discharged by GovCo. The program is called the Borrower Defense to Repayment Program, or the BDTRP. It provides financial relief to people who got defrauded by for-profit education providers. You have a coalition of these nonprofit organizations that are now warning the Department of Ed and the Secretary, Miguel Cardona, that the BDTRP has already been abused for quite a while 
but it has gotten worse since President Biden was sworn in. In their letter, they say it's troubling that the Biden administration has signaled that it may eliminate any requirement of evidence that students were actually defrauded. You're not even going to have to prove you were defrauded in order to get the money to forgive your student loan out of the program designed to pay people who were defrauded, which I guess, well, I mean, in a sense, if you're spending, you know, $200,000 a year for a degree in, you know, I don't know, feminist basket weaving, I guess you were defrauded. That's, I mean, there is some truth to it. In other words, Gleason writes, accepting all fraudulence claims without verifying the evidence and extending the program to not-for-profit colleges, the BDTRP could be used to wipe out billions of dollars in student loans to Americans who were not actually defrauded, effectively turning it into a loan forgiveness program, a.k.a. a slush fund, right? As opposed to a fund that is focused on combating and compensating actual fraud. By the way, according to the Urban Institute, nearly half of student loan debt is held by the top 25% of income-earning households. I'm going to say that again. Half of the debt is held by a quarter of the top-earning income, or 25% of the income-earning households, the top 25. So a quarter of the population has almost half of the debt, the richest quarter. And that is why any broad student loan forgiveness would disproportionately benefit who? The already well-to-do. By the way, two-thirds of Americans have no college degree. This is what Milton Friedman talked about decades ago, talking about how most government programs that he has examined, with the exception of food stamps, is actually a subsidy for the middle class. It's a wealth transfer to the middle class. Virtually every government program is but they dress it up as for the poor. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is why I love you guys. Steve, thank you. He sent me over the uh, press release. Dated April 6th, which is today, April 6th, for immediate release from the U.S. Department of Education. Biden-Harris administration extends student loan pause through August 31. By the way, do you recall any other administration being referred to constantly as the Biden-Harris, like the president, vice president administration? Do you hear that? Do you... It was always the Bush administration, right? It wasn't the Bush-Quayle administration or the Clinton-Gore administration or the Obama-Biden administration or the, well, definitely not Trump-Pence. I don't think Trump would have allowed that. (laughs) But I'm not saying it's it's just a weird thing for them to put it in their own press release. I'm not saying it was never used. The term is never used. It's just noticeable how much it's used now. I'm sure there's nothing to it. No, I'm sure. Today, literally today, the U.S. Department of Education announced an extension of the pause on the student loan repayment, interest, and collections 
That is going to run through August 31st. August 31st, 2022. Uh, They say, look, the economy, it's going great, but we want to make sure that everybody's ready to resume. It's like, you got to be ready to get this into the budget again. Two-thirds of Americans don't have a college degree, and I don't think they're going to take too kindly to uh, having to pay off the loans for these people who then spend the rest of their time telling the two-thirds of the country how uneducated they are for not having gone to college, right? I like the idea of what the governor uh, of Maryland did, getting rid of the four-year degree requirement for a whole bunch of these state government jobs. You, you do not need a college degree to do a lot of the work. And honestly, a lot of the work that is needed in America um, that does require four-year degrees, I don't think that they're actually getting anything out of that four-year degree that is transferable as a skill. I haven't seen it. <laughs> so... I'd rather, like, apprenticeship programs, yes. Good idea. Industry needs to start creating uh, apprenticeship programs. I, I say this on all sorts of things, and this is a good example of it, which is, as conservatives, as limited government people, if you want government to do less, then... You and me in the private sector, we need to do more. Civic organizations, nonprofits, that's how you that's how you don't notice if government isn't doing something because you're already filling the gaps. Government has the crowding out effect. I get that. And when government intervenes and it starts pushing itself around, then a lot of the the civic organizations cannot compete, right? The private sector cannot compete with the bottomless pockets. And so they go away. There was a guy, I forget the name now, it was a couple years ago I did the interview with him, and uh, he owns a, uh, he's an electrician, he owns a a company, it's a pretty big company, but I think he was over in Rutherford County. And uh, he said that the local community college was training people for, you know, they, they had a program there to get people trained up as electricians, but they were training them to commercial standards. In other words, to go work in the factory that had closed down a decade prior. And they they were not retooling, re-gearing the curriculum to residential electrician apprenticeship programs and knowledge, right? They, 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 weren't, they weren't teaching them, these are the things you need in order to do residential work. It was all geared towards this sort of industrial, commercial corporate need that once, you know, was a very big need in that county, but wasn't any longer. And so this this guy just said, you know what, I'm going to make my own program. And so they train up their own people. And so that's probably what needs to, to start happening, you know, more of that. Um, by the way, along those lines, oh, actually, you know what, hang on, let me jump over here, because I mentioned this the other day, John Hood at the John Locke Foundation, he wrote a piece at the uh, Winston-Salem Journal called Conservatives See Freedom as Progress. And it's one of the fundamental, uh, I think, mistakes that a lot of people on the left don't understand about people on the right, which is, to the left, 
the strongest impulse is oftentimes to have government do more. And the impulse on the right is for government to do less. And that is in a great many areas. But that doesn't mean that an individual conservative or limited government person might want government to do more on one issue. And by the way, that the desire to do, if they can, you know, think it through and rationalize it or justify it, they can argue in defense of this position, that does not make them a hypocrite. It doesn't. And that's why, like, I don't think you'll ever hear and have never heard me argue that when people on the left want government to do less, I don't ever call them hypocrites for it. I mean, I point out that that is an, you know, that's a carve out from their general philosophy of wanting government to do more. But it doesn't make you a hypocrite if you see the role of government in one particular area as not necessary or burdensome or too costly or whatever. The latest political typology produced by the Pew Research Center assembled hundreds of survey responses and then looked for clusters of like-minded voters, and they came up with nine different groups. They had four on the right, four on the left, and then one group in the middle, and they called them the stressed sideliners. And they swing back and forth, and they often determine elections. Um, so on the right, you got these four groups, committed conservatives, Faith and flag conservatives, the populist right, and the ambivalent right. So committed conservatives, faith and flag conservatives, populist right, and ambivalent right. Okay? What draws them together as a coalition is their preference for individual freedom and voluntary solutions over government paternalism and compulsion. That's the key marker. They have different ideas about all different things. And so when you hear, you know, the uh, some conservatives say, we want government to not do these things, and then you hear some other conservatives say, well, we want government to do these things, that doesn't make the original group of conservatives hypocrites. It means they share one trait. They have one common denominator, a preference for individual freedom and voluntary solutions over government compulsion and paternalism. But people disagree on various issues inside of that tent. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. So the Pew Research Center, they do all of these surveys. They find clusters of like-minded voters, four groups on the right, four groups on the left, and then the mushy middle, or as they call them, the stressed sideliners. And um, they asked a question whether government is doing too many things better left to businesses and individuals or government should do more to solve problems. And as you might imagine, the four groups on the right, they all said, no, government's doing too many things, better left to businesses and individuals. And people on the left, they chose the second option uh, by similarly wide margins. Um, The right-leaning groups all favored a smaller government, providing fewer services, while the left-leaning groups preferred bigger government, providing more services. And while the conservatives agreed it's not the government's job to protect people from themselves, the progressives said, quote, sometimes laws to protect people from themselves are necessary. So as John Hood writes in the Winston-Salem Journal, for some, our strongest impulse is for government to butt out. And for others, 
the strongest impulse is to butt in. These differences help to explain why the conservative movement tends to evaluate its progress with measurements of freedom, not government spending. Freedom. That's the message. That's the unifying principle. And I think that's a winning message. Uh, Democrats always get to talk about, um, you know, oh, I gave you this and I gave you that. It's literally what they campaign on. It's all the all politics is built around this idea that I, you know, went someplace. You hired me to go someplace, take a bunch of money from those people and bring it back to you. They're literally campaigning on the Build Back Better stuff, the ARPA money. They're going around with the infrastructure deal, right? They're going around telling you, hey, look what I got for you. Look what I got for you. I stole it from future generations, but look what I got for you. Vote for me, and I'll do more of the stealing for you. What do Republicans offer? What do conservatives offer? What's the... (laughs) Vote for me. I will give you nothing. No, you got to have a positive message, and that's a message of freedom, voluntary interactions, The free market, wealth generation, opportunity. These are the things, by the way, that attract people to the country. And so one of the things that conservatives say the government should be doing, butting in, if you will, is controlling the border. If you don't have a controlled border, do you really have a country? This is one of my uh, points of departure with the capital L libertarians. I have... Maybe I'm just, I don't know. Maybe it's just a conventional view. I'm not sufficiently libertarian enough, fully admitted. But I do believe you need to have controlled borders. Now, I, I want there to be legal immigration. I want that to happen because I want the best and the brightest on the planet to come here. Because, like, I think the best and the brightest would flourish here versus everywhere else. I'm kind of partial to America. That's just me. So um, when I saw the story about the Title 42, this is now the new buzzword. Everybody's going to learn about Title 42. It's part of the U.S. code, and it was invoked in order to prevent people from coming into America during the pandemic. So the Biden administration is going to let this thing, uh, is going to wipe this thing off the Uh, the books as far as being implemented. And so now we're going to have this mad rush at the board. It's already happening, actually. CNN says more migrants, because that's what they're called now, migrants. I I prefer the term, actually, undocumented immigrants. No, I'm sorry, I don't. I'm just kidding. I don't. Unauthorized immigrants. I prefer the term unauthorized immigrants, because there is a case to be made when you say something illegal. Immigration is not... They're not adjudicated as such until after a process, and we all know they don't ever go through the process now. So unauthorized means like you are not allowed to be here. So unauthorized immigrant. But this whole changing of the language to migrant, I'm not on board with that one. Anyway, more migrants are coming to the U.S.-Mexico border, and officials say they expect the number to grow. It's something we've seen many times before, but some key details are different this time around. Uh, The pandemic public health order that's been in place that stopped many migrants from crossing the border and seeking asylum in the U.S., policy known as Title 42, uh, its days are numbered. Under the policy, authorities turned away migrants more than 1.7 million times, expelling them into Mexico or back to their home countries. Now there's a bottleneck of people waiting to cross, and the rule that stood in their way is going to get lifted. 
probably on May 23rd. The U.S. Border Patrol chief told CNN, describing a record-breaking surge and estimating agents would be arresting about 8,000 people per day. And the White House also says officials are preparing for things to intensify. Oh, God, please don't put Kamala Harris on this. This is going to be a catastrophe. The number of arrests at the U.S.-Mexico border is already on the rise. Border Patrol says they've made more than 158,000 arrests in February. That is up from 148,000 in January. In Del Rio, Texas, Tiffany Burrow told CNN's Rosa Flor. Sorry. I'm trying to be. They, they want you to try to pronounce it the way. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Tiffany Burrow says she's been seeing the increase at the respite center she directs. More than 4,400 migrants have been dropped off there after being released from Customs and Border Protection over the past month. More than twice the number in January. Asked whether she's ready for what could happen if Title 42 is lifted, she says, I don't think anybody can truly be prepared. No. Great. That's awesome. 